the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back. Privileged to have the chairman of the House Freedom Caucus representing Arizona's 5th Congressional District. So lucky to have him, Andy Biggs. Andy, welcome back. How are you, sir? Seth, I'm doing great. Hope you are, too. I am. I'm not as busy as you, and I'm glad that you are as busy as you are. I hope you're getting your rest. I saw a letter you wrote to... um, uh, to uh, Xavier Becerra, the secretary of HHS, and, of course, Elizabeth Fowler, the director of Indian Health Services, over the video that a lot of us heard and a lot of us watched that Project Veritas did right here in Phoenix. Andy, I'll let you say what you want on this. Can I just preface it maybe this way? It was amazing to me last year how many news media sources were running towards the new heroes of our time, news, uh, nurses and, and frontline health care workers. And, and fine, fine. It's amazing with these stories of hundreds and in some cases thousands of hospital health care workers who are refusing to get the vaccine and thus leaving their work cannot get interviewed will not be on the media. For some reason, they are no longer heroes. I think people would like to know what they have to say. Thank God for Project Veritas. You take it from here, sir. Yeah, I mean, that really is the truth. I mean, these, and, and I've, I've talked to a lot of these people, and that's, that, that's the common thread. It's like, hey, I, I worked through the, the worst part of the epidemic, and I did it without a vaccine, and I risked my health, and my life in order to treat these folks. And now I'm being told that I'm going to be thrown out of my office, uh, out of my job, unless, unless I succumb to the, to the whims uh, of, of these, uh, these, these leaders, these CEOs of these hospitals or these, these healthcare organizations, by the way, that continues to consolidate and get bigger and bigger and force um, sole practitioner doctors or small group practices out. And, um, you know, there's just this fundamental lack of fairness. There's also more than the fundamental lack of fairness. What this is is a, is an, uh, is a basically forced immature uh, decision-making. So, so what you're saying is we don't think healthcare workers in particular um, are mature enough to make decisions about their own health care um, while they're making decisions about other people's health care or having input in those decisions. And, the, and in, in yeah, and this relates, of course, to what Project Veritas, right? Go ahead. Yes, ah. exactly. Yeah, no, 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 that's right. So we see what's happening in, in uh, the, the Phoenix uh, in, Indian school situation, I mean the uh, um, health care situation. And when that happens, um, they're, they're basically, again, it's the same thing. We're going to keep, keep this stuff on the down low. And then Project Veritas comes in and blows the story up. And, and you see that data is bad, numbers are bad, advice and counsel is wrong, and there's abuse going on in that system. And at least that's what we see 
from the video. And that's why we wrote the letter. We want questions answered. Yeah, I think that's important, uh, obviously, to get these questions answered. And I think it's important to do anything we can to continue to pump out the, the news that this is happening. Just because NBC doesn't care doesn't mean it ain't news. I should say CBS, because what Project Veritas did is exactly what CBS 60 Minutes made its name on, doing exactly that kind of journalistic work, isn't it? it yeah, absolutely. Uh, going in, and, and I, I hate to say setup work, but or basically uh, it, it is kind of setup work where they're going in and they're, they're, they're basically lulling you and saying, hey, this is what's going to happen, uh, uh, um, and we, we you know we have some questions. And next thing you know, you're exposed as as being less than forthright, or less than honest, or or in this instance, um, not providing the care that you're supposed to provide. And when it take, take, but when it came to taking on big tobacco or big automobiles or big whatever, the mainstream media had no problem doing these kinds of pieces. None. None whatsoever. They are in the service of a lie right now, I believe. They're in the service of a lie every time they they interview Anthony Fauci. This is a man who admitted to lying to there in our faces over herd immunity and giving us several different numbers and then saying at the end when he was called on it, I didn't think the American people were ready for the real number. Why would an immediate source ever interview that person again? Well, the only reason you would interview them is because you've exposed them to be a liar. Yeah. And you want to find out why they're lying. And how about on the vaccine in and in and of itself? I mean, uh, we, we're hearing that the numbers are fudged, et cetera. And uh, um, they've they've admitted, uh, you know, death the death calculations messed up. But you're going to find that buried at CDC websites and where they have to disclose and CDC sites, and it's going to be ignored by the media, the 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 MSNBCs, the CNNs, those. They don't care about that. And so that's why, you know, uh, that's why Project Veritas is is so important. Well, that's right. I, I, and and, and, and uh, the name, let us not forget, Stan, <laughs> Project Truth is what Veritas means. And it's an amazing thing where, you know, that, that where we where we are so used, I suppose to li- I, I suppose we're so used to lies that we don't recognize the truth anymore. But it's my theory, Andy, if I might. It's my theory that whatever hesitation exists out there is mostly based on people not trusting what these government leaders have been telling them for a little more than a year and a half because almost every major thing they've told them about COVID has turned out not to be true. Why would you trust them now? It's their doing. They did this, not us. Well, well, you know what, Seth, I'll tell you what is more concerning that because you're right. I mean, they did that. Nobody should be trusting them. But I'm seeing a real divide in this country. Some people say, well, yeah, we need to have vaccine mandates. And that's a little, somewhere a little over half of Americans say we should be having vaccine mandates. And then you have the other people, about, you know, 40%, 45%, whatever that number is, saying, no, we want freedom. And, and what has happened is they have, through the, through the vaccine, through the COVID, all of the misinformation that they put out there, they have furthered the wedge that was already there. And, and they have they have basically provided this cleft, this chasm that's in American thought. And um, it's it's too bad, but they have been the facilitators of this, Seth. They've, they've 
they facilitated Oh, that's this. right. They and, set, That's exactly right. They set the stage, they set the time, and they sold the tickets to this show. Absolutely right, Andy. I, I think it would be fair to say my interactions, I wonder what yours are, my interactions of that 50% that doesn't like the vaccine mandates and prefers individual liberty, my rough estimations of that 50% that don't like the mandates is about 50% or more of them are actually vaccinated, at least in my experience, which is kind of interesting. And I have I have really no problem with that. Yeah. It's just that they're against the mandate of it. Yeah, and I'd say it's higher than that. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, may very well yeah. be. Oh, and, and this is what I find so interesting. But but the media has created this this ostracization of those who have taken a stand against against the vax or against the mandate. Yep. So much so that people who support vaccine freedom of choice almost always say. Well, you know, personally, I got the vax. I think it works. Blah blah blah. But nobody should be mandating it. That's I, I don't know even why they they have to say that. Just just come out and say, look, we're Americans. We're mature, sentient beings, um, and um, and each individual should be allowed to make that determination. But to have a, no, a that's generic right. mandate, that's right. have a generic mandate where you say. Uh, uh, even if you ha- already have the antibodies because you've had it, had COVID, um, and, and say, or you have some kind of religious or exemption, uh, or some just some other uh, conscientious objection, uh, I, I think that's that's too much. We're Americans, um, and don't don't blame the break- breakthrough cases. They're finding now that it's just a, a bogus lie to say. Oh yeah, it, this was carried over by people who hadn't been vaccinated. They're the ones who caused all this problem for the breakthrough cases. That's not true. Um, people who have who've received the vaccine, they still shed. They still are contagious because this isn't a, a normal. The CDC's vaccine. very first report study on why yeah. we need masks with the vaccine said exactly what you said. The viral load in the vaccinated matched the viral load in the unvaccinated, and four out of five of the vaccinated in their province town study were in the hospital. Right. Yes, Andy. Exactly. Totally right. Exactly. Exactly. So so the thing that drives me crazy is you've been shouting it. I've been shouting it from the rooftops and we're we're being drowned out. Well, part of the reason we're being drowned out is because the Biden administration is destroying the country. OK, and so there's a lot there's a lot of concerns about a lot of areas. Yes. But the other are. reason is these guys do not want the truth to get out because this is their mechanism for control. Seth. Well, that's why you're here. That's why we're here, buddy. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. Thanks, sir. Thank you, sir. Keep fighting the fight, my friend. You do the same. God bless you, sir. I, I, I hate to talk over that. That's just from great trumpets and horns to the great voice of Dolly Parton. Let's talk about another voice for a moment. Insight into the mind. You, you, in, um, in, in, in teaching strategy and in teaching war, one of the most difficult things to do and yet most important is knowing the mind of your adversary or opponent. That's, in a way, I suppose, what struck me so negatively about Mark Milley saying he read Mao and Lenin to understand the people he was defending. He ended that sentence 
in a very tellingly wrong way. <laughs> you, you read Mao and Lenin to understand America? Hmm. Maybe to understand the Chinese when you're not calling them ultra-virus. Um, but you, you've, to get into the mind of the other side, it's important to, to look at the things that represent it. So today, just today, this, this may not be the biggest story, and, and, and maybe it doesn't need to be, but it rings awfully familiar to me. It rings awfully familiar. Have you seen this story about Katie Couric? I guess she has a new book out. And she's talking about an interview she did with Ruth Bader Ginsburg when she was a justice of the Supreme Court. And she says she wanted to protect Justice Ginsburg from her blind spot, which was race, when she edited out of the televised interview, edited out of the televised interview, where Katie Couric asked Justice Ginsburg about people who sit for the Pledge of Allegiance rather than, or the national anthem rather than stand. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg said, would I arrest them for doing it? No. I think it's dumb and disrespectful, Ruth Bader Ginsburg said. I would have the same answer if you asked me about flag burning. I think it's a terrible thing to do, but I wouldn't lock a person up for doing it. I would point out how ridiculous it seems to me to do such an act. If they want to be arrogant, there's no law that prevents them from that. What I would do is strongly take issue with the point of view that they are expressing when they do that, Ginsburg said. Does that sound like someone to you who needs protection because she has a blind spot on the race issue? Or someone who sees things for exactly what they are? I don't even know if they know how much we're on to them. And the reason I say that is Katie Kirk thought it was okay to put this in her book. Oh, yes, you did a nice thing helping preserve Justice Ginsburg's reputation. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. You deliberately took something out that she wanted to communicate. How is that honoring someone? If the question is what, of one of her infirmity... Well, that's a whole other series of issues because she was hearing cases. And if you thought she was mentally infirm, 505 maybe, if you thought she was mentally infirm, then you had another duty. But that's not what you said. You said she had a blind racial spot. A blind racial spot. She didn't. She didn't. This was a woman who... I probably agreed with on almost nothing in legal jurisprudence, but who did found the Women's Justice Initiative and Feminist Rights Movement of the Civil Liberties Union in this country. I have a really hard time thinking she was blind to issues of discrimination, though Katie Couric tells us she was. You know what's an, – it's another small thing, but I, I – I remember this very well. 
during the campaign. I remember this very well during the campaign when there was a little bit of a controversy over calling Jill Biden Dr. Jill Biden. Do you remember some of that? She wanted to be introduced as doctor. It got reported out or leaked out. And that became a bit of a kerfuffle because her doctorate was pretty anemic in the first place. An EDD and then her dissertation, which isn't really even a dissertation, got released. And it was, shall we say, graded on a very steep curve. Okay. Happens. They were talking about it on The View. They were talking about it on The View. And Joy Bahar says she should be called Dr. Biden. I hear she's a very good doctor. When it took Sonny Hostin the moment to say, well, she's got a doctorate in education, not medicine. Do you know what happened in that moment? What happened in that moment is Joy Bahar told a lie on national TV. Because probably nobody ever told her Jill Biden was a very good doctor. Why would they say that? Anyone been a patient of Dr. Jill Biden's? Anyone read any medical research or reports? There are people you could say were good doctors or great doctors, even had movies made about them. Say the former director of health and human services in the Trump administration, who The View did nothing but make fun of. But the tell was this. It's not just that she lied. The tell was understanding the mind of your opponent. The tell was she knew Democrat Joy Behar did and she knew say anything that helps her out. Anything, even if it's an invention. And it was an invention. Nobody ever told Joy Behar she was a very good doctor because Joe Biden is not a very good or a very bad doctor of any kind. She doesn't practice medicine. But Joy felt the need to interject some way to help out Jill Biden. That was her instinct. That was her go-to. Democrat, let's invent something in lie. This is what the left does. They don't ask the question. They don't say, is this constitutional? They don't say, is this historical? They don't say, are there barriers in the way? They don't say, is it true? They just go and do. They are great white sharks that do nothing but swim and eat and make baby sharks and leave us in the wake to deal with it. And while we're dealing with the wake of their latest kill or the chum from the, or the or the or the or the fallout from their latest kill, they're on to the next. And that's why in California department stores can't have blue and pink for boy and girl anymore. They don't ask what they're upsetting, they don't think about it. They just know we are here to change. And if this country is steeped in sexism and racism and bigotry, all we have to do is really simple, they think, change everything. Don't tell me they're not revolutionaries. What we are dealing with here is a perfect engine, uh, an eating machine. It's really a miracle of evolution. All this machine does is swim and eat and make little sharks. And that's all. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Happy birthday to the United States Navy. 
A good navy is not a provocation to war. It is the surest guarantee of peace, said Theodore Roosevelt. I was listening um, to another uh, show on this network earlier today, and it's interesting. When you deal in public policy at, uh, at uh, certain, you know, for certain time, time, uh, time spans and at certain levels, you, you get kind of used to, you get kind of used to um, a problem in politics, which is myths that never die. Myths that never die. Now, we used to have things like factcheck.org or Snopes. I mean, these things still exist, but they've been unveiled for being in the service of partisan hackery and are the opposite of what they are. The opposite of what they are. Bill, did you say Adam Carolla was doing a whole series on things that are the opposite of the name? What was an example of Mr. Carolla's things that are opposite what they really are? Joy Reid. Joy Reid. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Joy Behar. Joy Behar. That's funny. Glad. G-L-A-A-D. Yeah. Right. And wage garnishment. Why wage garnishment? A garnish sounds like a nice thing you put on something. Oh, okay. They're okay. taking it away. Okay. Words that mean the opposite. So uh, most of these fact-checking organizations have become that. The opposite of fact-checking, they have been myth-instantiating. And um, it's funny what they do with mostly false. It's really true. And I've seen myths that never die in public policy debates in a lot of areas. One of them that is among us now and should have died the moment it was uttered but hasn't and a caller made it through on it, made it through, a caller made the point, tried to make the point to one of the hosts on um, on this network earlier today when he was talking about critical race theory, that critical race theory isn't taught in our schools. It's only taught in law schools. It is such the most foolish argument I've ever heard. It is so foolish. Like that is helpful. Like that's a better thing and like what happens in law schools doesn't have effects into other places. The law and the way the law is is written or the way the law is abided by or the way the law is debated has no effect anywhere else. It just stays in that law school. Well, we know a lot about that, don't we? We used to say that about undergraduate programs, didn't we? Oh, that 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 notion – you know, that's a college thing. It'll stay there. The kids will be just fine once they start working and entering the real world. All of these ivory towers have had lab leaks. And yeah, critical race theory is one of them. And it is in the schools. And it's a funny thing they keep telling us it isn't. This host did a really good job in answering the critic who was calling from California because the host said you picked the wrong week to make that argument because Gavin Newsom just signed a law requiring it in the elementary schools in California. You picked the wrong week to make that argument. It's a total, absolute myth. Of course, critical race theory is now everywhere. Everywhere. It's in our museums. It's in the Smithsonian. 
it's everywhere. And yeah, it's in our schools too. One of the interesting things the progressives do on this debate, one of the interesting things they do is they will never tell you what it is. They will just keep telling you what it isn't. And what it isn't is everything we say it is. Because you know what? Some of us did go to law school and were exposed to it and know exactly what they're talking about. I did. I was privileged to sit in a lecture by the founder of the whole school, Derek Bell, the whole school of critical race theory, listening to the nonsense. Particularly interesting and memorable to me was his nonsense about Brown versus Board of Education, he said, which had nothing to do with race in this country. It was not a good moment in this country for race. It was all about showing something to the Soviet Union. Really? You understand the point of that? You understand the point of that? This country can do no good for the right reasons ever, ever, including nine liberal Supreme Court justices. Not even they did any good with Brown versus Board of Education. It wasn't about race. How foolish for those nine justices to try and sell us on that notion had to do with showing the Soviet Union we were the true equal place among the nations here. That's the first time I was exposed to it. Derek Bell, the mouth of the beast. Well, uh, our good friend, Professor Wilford Riley, has a piece on this I want to share with you, too. But first, a little more law. Well, welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. That's in the Navy. Today we will introduce Brett Johnson with that song because it is the birthday of the Navy. But to those of you who are regular listeners, Brett Johnson is a partner at Snell and Wilmer's Phoenix office right here in town. And he is our Robert Jackson Fellow in Constitutional Studies, giving us our weekly update on laws and the conflicts therein. Happy birthday to the Navy, Brett Johnson. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, as a Navy veteran, I'm, I'm happy for you to, to actually recognize that. A lot of people don't. So I appreciate that. Well, I, you know, I, I do remember in years past, it, I've, do, I've been doing radio, Brett, uh, since 2004. And I remember in years past, there was just a lot more about these birthdays of these various branches of the military. It was always the first thing in my inbox that I would wake up to, stuff like that. I didn't see it today. I just didn't see it today. There's no, something no. different. Yeah, there, there, there was, and 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 unless you're regularly going around military uh, military circles, you, you you wouldn't see it, right? So no. it it came across my feed, but uh, that's uh, you know I guess maybe those algorithms we hear about, it was like, oh, happy birthday, the Navy, happy so. birthday, the Navy, and thank you for your service in it and to our country, thank Brett, you. and to us. You do us a great service every week here. Constitutional issues. I'm getting a lot of calls and emails, Brett. Professor Johnson, on uh, what I guess we would call conflicts of laws and remedies. I want to talk about Abbott versus Biden, Greg Abbott uh, in Texas versus Joe Biden on vaccine mandates. But before I do that, what do you, what, what do you say to people who look at things like happened with Herschel Walker's son at UCLA, a state school, who don't want to take the vaccine and then have to, in many cases, relinquish their scholarships or even their ability to attend those schools? Do they have legal recourses? People say, well, you know, there seems to be lawyers everywhere filing lawsuits on behalf of the left all the time. Maybe we have a claim. Maybe we don't. What, what's what's yeah. your thought on this stuff? 
Well, I mean, of course, the devil's always in the details, yep. right? Um, so especially with uh, college education, you have uh, um, the state system usually for or, or community colleges that are run by uh, usually county governments here in Arizona. Um, and, and the government basically is able to set the, set the requirements there. Then you have private private institutions, um, you know, Notre Dame, USC. Those are private institutions, and quite honestly, as private companies, private entities, they can, they can do what they want so long as they're following the law. So the idea is that if you don't like what one of those uh, institutions is doing, you can walk with your feet and, and move to a different uh, uh, program. Uh, the, the state schools, though, this is a little bit different, yeah. right? So you yeah. actually have to, have to get the devil in the details because when they're, when they're issuing policies, that's the same thing as like the DMV issuing a policy. Right. If it's going to impact my constitutional rights, the government is not treating me um, uh, appropriately. You look at the actual policy, and I actually have it in front of me. It's a very long one. About <laughs> oh, no, 34 pages from the University of California issued to its different uh, colleges. So you'd have to actually go through this and determine whether or not you have the rights, especially because there's so many different exemptions. So it's a, it's a tough uh, for an individual. I'll be honest with you, and, and there's some great nonprofit organizations out there who oh, yeah. are doing great work in this space. But for you know the mom and pop, it's it's an uphill battle. I'll sure. be honest. It's interesting. You said how long was the, the the policy directive on this was? Thirty some odd pages. Thirty four pages. Yeah, thirty four pages. Well, that's part and parcel of it, isn't it? Though making it overwhelmingly difficult to navigate. Absolutely right. And then when you when you go bring the lawsuit and you're trying to concentrate on what the government has utilized against you or, you know, taking action against you, the government regularly then points to a different provision and says, well, no, it was actually that provision that we were utilizing. And that's when that's, you know, when they've got 34 pages, you know, back in the day, I remember, uh, you know, Snell and Wilmer, we're we're an old firm, 1930s, and something we have in our archives is literally a contract that was one page long. No kidding. you pay me for X and I'll pay you for Y. It was that simple. And nowadays you got 34 pages about how to take a vaccine. Yeah. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Thank you, Brett. We're talking to Brett Johnson. We do uh, constitutional issues with him every week. Brett, um, I have some friends who are uh, employees of the airline du jour Southwest and they say, well, what now? If Greg Abbott, this was, well, they said two days ago, what now? If Greg Abbott says, we're not going to enforce mandates of vaccines, but the federal government says, what's, what's, what's Southwest supposed to do? I said, I think they have two choices, but you tell me. They may not. Yeah, I think they do have two choices. Um, well, it, it, if it's the company itself, they can take action. Um, first first of all, they can see if one of the exemptions apply, yeah, right, both right. for uh, Governor Abbott and when we eventually get them from the federal government. Remember, the federal government has had a very nice press release out there for a few weeks, but uh, has not issued regulations. the most powerful either. press release ever. That's right. It really was. And it, and it worked. We have a lot of clients who call up and say, hey, we, we have to comply. And I'm, can I comply about what? Yeah. There's nothing out there yet. Yeah. Um, but uh, when OSHA um, issues its guidance and then the federal government contractors issues its guidance, that's going to obviously be a game changer. And if, they're, if you're looking, quite honestly, at the, at the monetary penalties, you know, federal government's saying it's going to be about $18,000 per violation. Ad, Governor Abbott violating his saying companies you can't do this is going to be $1,000 violation. Mm-hmm. So so money does still talk. Um, but what I really do think is going to happen, 
um, they, they're going to get sued, both, both, probably both of them, and say, hey, I can't comply with both laws. Judge, right. which one do I follow? Right. And, and it's going to come down to a preemption, it's called preemption, um, argument that the United States can preempt state law so long as it's within the federal sphere. Um, you saw that in, several years ago in regard to immigration. Oh, yeah, right here, SB 1070 and stuff. You bet. Yeah, right. Right. Um, but in, in this context, it's going to be much different because the, the federal um, – immigration is 100 percent in the federal confines. It always has been, and, and it's a, that's, that's the one thing that George Washington and everybody agreed on was that the, the border was definitely a federal issue. But, yeah, not that states can't support it. But in, th- in this context, it's the reverse, yep. right? Yep. So we had the Tenth yep. Amendment and the Bill of Rights, which said if it's not inside the U.S. Constitution, then that is preserved to the states. And one thing for sure was called the police power. Mm-hmm. Police power is, is a very strict um, law that the, the states have to follow, and that includes the ability to require vaccinations. So, you know, when your kids go to school and they have to have the measles shots, that's all done by the state. Um, and the federal government, although puts out some guidance and has some money tied to it, the federal government has a very hard time forcing that. Now, let me throw you on the other loop, though. When you're a federal government contractor, you're taking the government's money. You have chosen to get into bed and do business with the government. And so the government is able to put ties, socioeconomic requirements, such as you need to have a certain amount of subcontractors, you need to have a drug awareness program, don't text and drive, whatever it might be. And if you don't like those provisions, those contractual clauses, which would never fly in a commercial agreement, then don't go do business with the government. And that's going to really, really hurt to the government. But when the government does make those regulations, does that kind of preempt what the state is requiring of the federal government contractors? And so that's going to be the debate back and forth. Brett Johnson, you did that. If we were to transcribe this conversation, it would be less than 34 pages and more clear. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. It is more, much more clear. Until next week, sir, thank you for that. I appreciate Absolutely. it greatly, as does our thank audience. You. you bet. Brett Johnson, Snell and Wilmer, our Robert Jackson resident scholar in constitutional jurisprudence. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. 602-508-0960. Your show from here. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. If you want to get in on the conversation, love to have you. A little bit of good news, but before I give it to you, let me just set the stage for it a little bit about where conservatives are on the kinds of things Brett Johnson was just talking about. America uh, has been in the grip or was in the grip of liberal and left-wing jurisprudence and legal activist organizations for about a hundred years until conservatives founded something called the Federalist Society, which was, you know, mostly really a conservative-slash-libertarian organization that wanted to promote the ideas of original intent. You know, what the people who wrote the Constitution actually wrote and thought. And so the Federalist Society was born around 1980, 81. 
it's pretty recent. I know people are saying that was a long time. It's recent given the landscape that the left had 100 years prior to the Federalist Society. And then shortly thereafter, other organizations started coming to the forefront, Homeschool Legal Defense Association founded by Mike Ferris, who now heads the Alliance Defending Freedom as well, and several others. But we came, we, we came, you know, for better or worse, we came late to the game, for better. We came at all. We came at all. And so there's an awful lot of turning around in the C.S. Lewis sense that we have to do. An awful lot. And it goes to reexamining notions and dictates and decisions that were made based on pretty much a uniform ideological agenda, that is to say left-wing liberal. So much so that it even infected or affected a lot of Republican nominees to the bench, a lot. And I think we've woken up to that problem. I want you to wake up to the problem as well of Republicans running for office, telling you, that they're conservative or that they're Republicans. I want you to have the same amount of skepticism. But we in the legal field have begun to catch up a little bit. And I can give you some good news when we come right back at the top of the hour of a victory on this very issue of mandates that we just won temporarily. But we'll take it and build from there. Stay tuned. Don't go away and give me a call if you want. 602-5080-960. We'll be right back. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 